0: All right. So that's happening next Sunday for those of you guys who want to pour into your youth group. Did anybody grow up in a, um, a church where you felt loved as a child or teen? Did that happen for anybody? That stuff's important. And if it doesn't happen, it, there's, there's something that can very easily happen with a, with a child where they disconnect from the church. So for those of you guys who felt, your, felt like the Holy Spirit was tagging you on that, please go ahead and, and be aware of that for next week. Are you guys excited? Yeah, I do. All righty there's a um I think i well, I say this oftentimes, but i I'll, I'll say it again um, we we our our vision statement here is to know love and become love it's not like a, some catchy thing where we're saying the same thing twice like that really is our our mission and our goal, and as Christians, that should be your goal right the the process that you're involved in with the Holy Spirit to actually be to step into full Christ-likeness is something that you are voluntarily engaging in or you're not. OK, it's actually supposed to be the most important like, to do that you guys have. So you guys have heard me talk a lot about like, making sure prayer is a priority and like starting off your days in prayer. Because that's, you want to seek him first and all these other things will be added on to you, right? And so then there's a, a list of values out there. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that in our, in our lobby. But the reason we have those, those values at this church is because those, that's how humility expresses itself. So we're a community that's engaged in humility because humility draws the grace of God, okay? I want as much of his kindness as possible upon me so that I can impact other people and upon me just because I need it, right? So like one of the values out there is diligence. And um, wouldn't that stink if somebody who wasn't, who didn't have the Holy Spirit or the, or the word of God or was saved was more diligent than you, They didn't believe that they were going to give an account for their work one day and they were more diligent than you. Would you be okay with that? You should be in a process of diligence that's going to be greater than anybody you know. Like, you guys shouldn't um, be okay with laziness or sluggardness. Right? But society would say that stuff's okay. It's your time. Well, this isn't your time anymore, this is the Lord's time right? You should be one of the most generous people you know, right? You should be one of the most devoted people you know to the Lord. And if that stuff isn't, like, clicking, you you should be. You When it comes to serving, you should be, like, one of the best servants you know. And if you're not, then something, like, you've disengaged with, with this process with the Holy Spirit. You don't want to disengage. You want to engage it more. And there's one thing that's always... Like grabbed my attention. I remember the first time uh, this happened for me. Um, have you guys ever read the Book of Revelation? There's a there's a a part in Revelations. It's Re- Revelations chapter one, and I want to read it to you. And this is where John sees Jesus for the first time. Did you guys know? Do you guys know that he doesn't see some shepherd holding a sheep? It gets rather intense. All right. I'm going to read from Revelations chapter 1, verse 12. And if you guys want the full effect, you can go ahead and close your eyes. And I'll read this to you from the New American Standard Version. And you guys can try to see this in your mind, because... John turns around and sees the one who's speaking to him, and this is what he sees. Now, let me, let me just start over. <laughs> John's on an island, basically breaking rocks with criminals. He's, he's, been, he's been put on an island, and he's been removed from the body of Christ, okay? And he's been put on this remote island with these other prisoners, and he's breaking rocks all day long. Now, how do you think Jesus shows up? You would think in the vision, he'd show up with like a warm blanket and some cocoa and be like, how are you holding up? This is kind of rough, right? That's not how he shows up. And this is where I, I, I feel like the culture of Christianity misses it. They completely miss this aspect of Christ because this aspect of Christ don't sell. All right? But this is how Christ shows up. And it's not with cocoa or a blanket. Listen to this. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And by the way, he was put in boiling oil before all this. And he couldn't die. So the man was put in boiling oil and then removed, and they, they realized that they can't kill him. So then they put him on the island. So he's been through some things, correct? I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about... The chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice, the many, the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And that, isn't that wild? Now, I don't know whether he collapsed forward or backward or, or what happened in this vision, but he laid his right hand me on me saying to me, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Well, you can bet the farm he is showing up like that. And I don't know what you guys, how you perceive Jesus, but that painting doesn't sell. Have you guys ever seen that painting? There is a painting like that. I've seen it. It is wild. He looks like a mad scientist in that painting. And he's got white hair and it's completely out. And there's thunder and there's a giant sword coming out of his mouth. It's wild. Eyes, flames of fire. And and oftentimes what you end up seeing in the Word of God is you actually actually see this word being referred to as a sword. And then what the culture will try to teach you is that it's a shield. But this word is not a shield. This word doesn't protect you. God does. God is your God and your shield. And your faith is a shield. But this word is not a shield. It's a sword. And it's sharp. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it actually cuts to the very heart of who you are and lays you bare in front of the Lord. Isn't that wild? But people, and I'm telling you guys, like there's some things that this says in the book of Revelations. Let me just read one to you. It's in Revelation 2. And it's verse 13, and he's writing to the churches. And this is so interesting to me because, man, like these churches are being persecuted. We've, we, we cannot fathom what they've been through. Friends, families, eaten by lions, pitched and tarred, and lit on fire to light up gardens, right? Wild what these people have been through. And you would think that when Jesus writes them a letter, that he would come with a blanket and some cocoa and maybe a foot rub. He doesn't show up to the churches that way either. Do you mind if I read you one of these things? And so you've got to understand, these churches, they're in home churches. It's the you know, first century. Towards the end of it, there are these house churches everywhere all over the city, You're probably in groups of 25, 50, and 100. They might be in a house. They might be hidden. But they're led by an elder. And this, they're passing around this letter. And copies of this letter are being written so that all the house churches could read it. And then this one in particular, it says, "Into the angel of the church in per- Pergamos, so in this town of Pergamos, or this city, they're reading copies of this letter. And let's just pretend that you're in the audience, right? And, and, and the elder of the church is about to read the letter. It's a direct revelation in which the church was called out by name, and Jesus is speaking. So that's a pretty intense Sunday, to hear directly what the Lord wants to say to you personally, as a city in that time, in that era. Are you guys Ready? These things says, he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed. And I just want to say this. I think that's so cool that Jesus considered where they were at and the time they were at. And he says, first off, let me just start off by saying there were many of you who died because you didn't deny me. Good job. He didn't say, now let me tell you what you did wrong because many of you ended up dying. He said, many of you died. Good job. My faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells, but I have a few things against you. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read, but I have a few things against you, that cuts me like a sword. Because these people were faithful. They lived in an era we know nothing about. They didn't have the comforts, the nothing that we got. They're under such extreme persecution. And the Lord shows shows up with a sword and says, let me tell you what I got against you. And that doesn't sell. No one's buying that. There's no T-shirt. I haven't seen it yet, but I have a few things against you. I haven't seen it yet. When I I read that, I'm like, now there's some men and women of God who in their intensity for him, because they're intense for him, don't need the cocoa and the blanket and the foot rub. And I used to feel bad for them. Do you know what? I, I don't feel bad for them anymore. I think they were sitting there saying, bring it on. I can't wait to hear what you have against us so that we can change. Listen. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam. And this was a doctrine that they had. It wasn't good. There's many debates on what exactly that means. But listen, there are many things in the church today that are not good that people are holding on to. One of them is this idea that this life is about you and for you. It's not anymore because your life was bought at a price. It's about him and it's for him. Right? But this, this, this worldly Christian culture was mixed in with their church and Christ wasn't cool with it. So now he's going to call it out by name. And if you want a little Bible assignment this week, read Revelations 2 and 3 and let it sink in who these people were, who Christ was, what he's saying to them. And then begin to ask the question, what would you say to me? What do you have against me? And I know that doesn't sell either. I know that's not popular but I wanna know what Christ has against me and I wanna know now and guess who's more than willing to tell me he's called the Holy Spirit and school is in session and he's ready to teach as soon as we're ready to listen but some people have a theology where everything's gravy it's like no I'm done I'm finished like I'm saved and everything's fine and it's like no man it wasn't even fine back then and they were dying for him and they are still engaged in a process they're engaged in a process with the Holy Spirit to become the fullness of Christ. So listen to this. I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual adultery, It's sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And what do I think that means? I think that he's going to send a prophet, and I think a prophet's going to come and just tear them to pieces. Repent. Or I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now listen to this. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. And on that white stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And there it is. Do you understand what the motivation was for the first century church? It wasn't now, it's then. It's that white stone. It's that hidden manna. It's that tree of life. They had their eye fixed on what was coming. And this world and the fact that their friends are being tarred and pitched and set on fire and eaten by lions and all kinds of persecution and even their children, they had their eye fixed on what was coming. Not on right now. They manifested Christ right now, but they had their eye fixed on what was coming. Hence why Jesus, at the end of every one of these things, points at what's to come. Do you guys get it? There's this curse in Jeremiah, okay? Cursed is the one who trusts in flesh for he will be like a bush in a dry desert, okay? That word trust, but it says, but then he goes on to say, blessed are those who trust in the Lord, for they will be like a tree planted by a river and some other stuff that I can't quite remember. But what he puts forth is this word trust, and this word trust means to find comfort, to find shelter, to be provided for. So I want to say all this before we get started. This, this, th- these printed English words that are on this, in this book, it's a sword and it will cut. But as far as provision, as far as care, as far as comfort goes, your God and your shield is the Lord. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. But I think what we do oftentimes, if we've been taught by this weird Christian culture is, well, here, go to the word and find refuge. This will be a shield for you. This is not a shield. It's never referred to as a shield. It's always referred to as a sword. These words are only powerful based on the time you spend with the Lord. Your relationship with the Lord is what gives these words life. Now, these things are living apart from your faith. So I'm not saying you need to give them life. They are living, but they don't get activated without faith. And that's why your relationship with God is so important. I've seen people at their worst, and what I mean is in the worst circumstances, and they're quoting scriptures apart from the Lord, hoping that if they say these words, that they will protect them. It's not a shield. You have a shield of faith, but there is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And if we would be cut by this word more often, we wouldn't need that shield to use it as a shield. I'm not saying you wouldn't need God or your faith. That's not what I'm saying. But if we would allow this word to cut us, let me put it this way. Hebrews puts it just so clearly. Hebrews 4.10, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let's make every effort to enter the rest so that no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience. Now, what's the example of disobedience? He's talking about those who wandered in the desert, who fell over dead, that never made it into the promised land. They fell away. They fell down dead in the desert. And he's saying, let's not do that by following their example of disobedience. Then he continues, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, listen. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. There's two different kinds of time of need. And I want to invite you guys into the higher time of need this morning, OK? And I love this. Do you guys remember when I said that in, in 1 John chapter 4, it talks about, and on that day, you can have confidence to approach him, because in this life, you have become like him? That's 1 John chapter 4. On the day of judgment, you're going to be able to approach Jesus, because in this life, you have transformed yourself into his likeness. Whose responsibility is that? Yours. Who's going to partner with you? Holy Spirit. Right? But while you're here, right now, let me tell you why you can have confidence. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. but one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive and find grace for help at the time of need. This is what I believe, I'll call it pagan Christianity, is teaching people, is that your greatest time of need is circumstantial. That is not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying your time of need is when the word come and lays you bare in front of him. And your need is for his grace and mercy to help turn you into who he is what people will try to feed you is that your time of need is fill in the blank. Well, this isn't going well, or this relationship isn't going well, or this isn't going well. And it's like, in regards to who you're meant to be, this either has your attention or this process has your attention. One of these will take the throne of your heart. It'll either be circumstances or it'll be your need to become like Christ. So that when the circumstance comes and it's hard, you will say, oh, joy, what an opportunity to become more Christ-like. Do you guys see the difference? In my opinion, that is like the dividing line in every person's life is the moment when you finally say, it ain't about this, it's about this. It's about me understanding the process And my need for him and everything that I go through will serve this process. And I will not waste another day of suffering without having it form me and form endurance in me for me to become more Christ-like. Because if this word is a sword, it's meant to cut and lay you bare. So I can't read this word anymore without seeing it. And I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm talking about conviction. Like when I read what I just read in Romans 2, I'm like, Lord, I want ears to hear. I want eyes to see. I want to know what things you have against me. I want to know. I want to know what's in my life that isn't like you or isn't of you or didn't originate from you. And I want it out of here. I want everything that has not denied self yet gone in my life. Would you please help me? And let me just say this. I'm not saying that you can't pray in circumstantial need, OK? In fact, I would encourage you to. They do it in the Bible. They go to God. He, he's your Lord, and he's your shield. And if something has your heart, it has your heart. And I get it. And I don't know what it, how much I can stand, but I do know when, when I read the word, and it says that love can bear all things, endure all things, believe all things, hope all things, that love that it's talking about is actually inside of me, and I should be producing that. So even when I read 1 Corinthians 13, I'm not like, "Oh, I'm like, oh, Lord, help. Help me. It cuts me like a sword when I read what the potential of my life is supposed to be, and it's not yet. Does that make sense? But people want to hallmark this whole word. It's not a hallmark card. Did you read that description of Christ? And besides all that, they understood that they were going to present their lives to him at the end of the day. That is the biggest circumstance you'll ever face in your entire life, is that one day you'll give an account. To the degree that you believe it, it's a big deal. And if it's not a big deal to you, it's because you don't fully believe that yet, and that's okay. You need to go to the throne of grace and say, Lord, help me. I don't even yet believe a lot of what this word says. And I would challenge everybody in here to believe that. Because if you do, it's going to produce that. So sometimes I feel like this is a Hallmark card. Here's the book. You're a Christian, so you magically believe it all of a sudden. It's like, well, no. Like, we're not sitting down to, like, to read this. We're sitting down to be cut by it and then to ask God for help. Because what I'm reading in this book, I'm not yet mirroring in my life. Now, guys, I got to tell you, I got like six or seven or eight verses down that are going on and that are in operation. And that's where the majority of my character comes from. It's just six or seven verses that the Holy Spirit has come, corrected me. He said, it's not happening in your life. You yet do not yet believe this. If you believe this, it would look this way. Would you like to believe it? Yes, Lord, please help. Please help me believe what it says. Help me with my own belief. You got it. Bang, and he removes unbelief from my life, replaces it with belief, because I had the humility to, to even confess that, I probably yet don't believe it. That's what Christianity looks like. That's what it means to put childish things behind you. It's to say no to all circumstances. It's to say it doesn't matter what happens. It only matters what's going to happen. And one day I'm going to give an account and I want to be confident on that day, because I was engaged in a process with the Holy Spirit in which I let this word cut me. I didn't try to cower behind it. I read it. I didn't leave all the bad parts for my neighbor. I didn't read the Proverbs and say, I know a fool. I know a fool or two. They have the wise shell. That's me, the wise person here. I didn't read the parables and say, well, I know a few goats down the road. (laughs) No, you be careful. You're not a goat. You let the parables cut you. You let the Proverbs cut you. You let the Old Testament cut you. Those guys didn't even have a Bible. And they're just blindly following the Lord in whatever it is that he says. So, you know, there came a point. There just came a point. Um, and I don't know when it was. Like, I could maybe pin down a year that it happened. But where I just stopped complaining. And the reason you stop complaining is because it's not about you anymore where I stopped needing things to go my way or letting things dictate my heart and how I was going to be in the day. I'm going to be a certain way, and it's not because things are going a certain way. It's because I spend time with the Lord and I have the joy of the Lord, and and it's not about this life anyway. It's about what this life is producing so that I can present it one day to the person who made it all in the first place. But man, if that thing isn't real for you, you're going to remain in a place where you're going to always be in a time of need, and that need is going to be driven by circumstances. And I'm not saying, so feel bad if that's you. Man, that's all of us at some point. And we don't know how much we can bear, but I bet you you're going to find out, and you're going to find out pretty soon, because in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. It means at the end of the day, he's overcome it all. This book isn't a shield. It's not something that we're reading to protect us. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is your shield. This is a sword, and these are his words. And when you read these words and you let them cut you, I mean, when was the last time this word actually cut you? When you weren't just reading it. And and like, I'm the first one, I'll admit guilt. I can read this word and not be cut by it. I'll just pick something out here. It says this, <laughs> nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you and quickly remove your lampstand. Whoa. Lord, am I doing that in any way in my life? Have I forgotten my first love? Is there, is there, is there anything in my life that isn't pleasing to you? Like, I, I don't want you to remove anything that you've given from me. Well, the Lord would never remove anything. Where do these people get their theology? Well, well, you can't fall away. Be careful not to fall away. We don't have to be careful. You can't fall away. Well, thank you for correcting the word. You might want to call the NIV and let them know. <laughs> but I, like, but it's, it's, it's deadly serious. I, 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 when I read this word, when I get alone with the Holy Spirit, man, he, I'm not, like, there's been times where, where I was, he met me where I was at, okay? He he met me in my need, but he also has plans for me not to remain in need. For me to never ever be in that place again. To never ever let circumstances grab my heart so much that I need him in that way. My son, let's just say my son comes to me and says, hey dad, I've like <laughs> he would never come to me. He'd go to his mom. But <laughs> oh man, I'll start crying. I'm so proud of him. I I was at a uh, I've been really teaching my son to do hard things. I would recommend everybody do that, right? His children need to do hard things, and people need to do hard things. And and it's really easy. It's getting easier and easier to do easy things, and it'll absolutely destroy you. You'll actually be a sluggard, and poverty will come upon you. But uh, he had football practice, and and uh, that started up. And I'm still coaching a summer lacrosse team, but he's not there because he's got football practice. And um and the one night. There was two games left, and, and he said, uh, what time's the game tonight? I said, 7.30. He said, well, I could technically make that after football. I said, well, that'd be hard to do because it's two hours of conditioning, and then to show up to a full lacrosse game, that's kind of challenging. And I said, but I believe you can do it because you can do hard things. And he said, OK, I'll do it. And so then he, he was at um, football, and he showed up, and everybody was pumped to see him you know, because they didn't think he was going to be there. And he plays long pole and he's a really good defensive man, like his dad. And uh, <laughs> so he's out on the field and he's playing hard and he's playing hard and, you know, it, like we're, we're getting crushed. It's not, the game isn't fun at this point, right? And I'm wondering why I'm even saying anything or yelling anything from the sidelines. And uh, it's the third quarter and he gets hit hard and he falls down. And I yell, "Get up!" Right? And he's he gets up. He gets up slow. He starts limping over to the sideline. And I saw the hit, and I'm not thinking paramedics, right? And he sits down. He takes off his helmet, and he's the his condition, his tiredness, uh, three hours nonstop, the hit, the score. It's got his heart. Okay, so he's he's getting a little red-eyed. And I said, and I looked at him. And I said, is that all you got? Are you gassed? Are you done? Leave your helmet on, right? Put his helmet back on. He didn't get up. I said, if you're done, then you're done. And, and you know, just awesome dad moments, right? And uh, <laughs> takes off his helmet, takes off all his gear. And he's sitting there, and he's behind me. And he doesn't have any of his gear on anymore. And I don't have any subs. I got like one sub. And you need a lot of subs. And so I'm sitting there. And I look back. And I said, because I'm just irritated. And um, I apologized to him later for my attitude. But I didn't like the score either. I didn't like the way the game was going. I didn't like the way they were playing. And I look at him. I said, you know, you could cheer on your team. And I looked away. And I'm sitting there, and I'm yelling at these kids. They're 10. I'm yelling at them. And this little guy comes up beside me and just starts clapping. Come on, guys. Let's go. And I was just floored by that, that he could produce that in the condition that he was in. But I knew that he could. Does that make sense? And I kept turning around and coming at him like a sword right, to see what was left in the tank. But people won't let God be that for them. They don't think he's a sword. They think he's a shield. And when you're tired, they don't allow the Holy Spirit to come and revive you because you're just done. Because you don't think you can handle anymore. I don't know how much more of this I can take. Oh, well, you can bear all things and endure all things according to this word but you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to speak that to you because you've made him something else. You've made him into a a shepherd that doesn't have a rod or a staff. And I think that's where the whole community gets ripped off, if I'm being honest. I feel like we get ripped off as individuals because of who we could have been, and we will certainly get ripped off that day. But the Holy Spirit didn't rip us off, and the Word didn't. We let the culture do it to us. So I'm not exactly for Christian culture. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, is this, this idea that the Lord never has anything sharp to say to individuals. This whole thing is sharp, and it's got two edges on it. It'll lay you bare before him, and if you will let it, and you'll let the Holy Spirit do it, he will give you as much grace as you can bear to become his fullness while you're here on earth. So this isn't, this isn't some shield to protect you. It's a sword, and it's very sharp. And I suggest we start reading it in such a way so that we find ourselves not down here in this time of need, but up here in a process of a time of need. And we let him help us. Amen? Would you guys stand? I'm, um, recently the Lord has challenged me in, in what I can bear and what I can actually do and um, he's he's confronted me in my own diligence and he's been doing that for a few months now. And um, the leadership workshop that's coming up, a lot of you guys said some things to me about the last sermon, how that really impacted you. I, I got to tell you, if you really want it to impact you, if you really want to become more of a diligent person, there's a leadership workshop that's coming up. It's August 7th from 6 to 8 and August 14th from 6 to 8. If anybody in here knows that you could be more diligent than you currently are, I can promise you, you'll get the tools you need to become that. Um, So I encourage everybody uh, to sign up for that. You don't just have to be a leader, but I want my leaders diligent. That's why my leaders have to come. But I open that up to everybody who wants to be a part of that. You can come on out to that. I encourage you guys next week, if the Lord's calling you to help out with youth ministry, man, to serve in that way. It's one of our, not just one of our biggest ministries, it's, it's one that calls a lot out of the tank on your part. And it's challenging, and it's good, and it's healthy, and it's hard, but it's good for you to do hard things. And so our youth group is having its meeting next week, next Sunday. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just ask that, um, that we'd be open to conviction, that we'd be open to the things that you have against us that you are calling us to change. And I'd ask if there's any spiritual blindness in here, if anybody has turned you into what they would want instead of who you are, that that image would leave in Jesus' name. We thank you for this sword. We thank you for how sharp it is. Let it lay us bare in front of you that we might come to you for grace, that we might be transformed into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday.